Back in episode five, Soph Sheehan hosted Camberwell's Jim Uncles, Cherie Patterson, and Vanessa Ponza to discuss all things umpiring. In this episode, Jim takes over the hosting chair to present legendary Australian umpire and tournament umpire manager Minka Woolley and Queensland's international umpire Alicia Newman. Welcome to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. Minka has been appointed the umpire manager for Tokyo, her fifth Olympics. And just this week, Minka received an award of merit from Hockey Australia, with awards committee member Perry Buckley saying, quote, Minka Woolley is highly respected at all levels of hockey for her honest, dedicated, compassionate and professional approach, not only as an umpire manager, but also for her overall coaching, encouragement and development of umpires. Perry continues, quote, she is an outstanding role model for the sport. Congratulations, Minka. Alicia obtained her FIH international badge in 2014 and Tokyo will be her first games. Alicia also plays hockey at AHL level with the Brisbane Blaze and had to choose to concentrate on her umpiring. Thanks both for your time and best of luck in Tokyo. Here's Jim. So it's my absolute pleasure today to welcome two absolute dynamite females in the Hockey Australia officiating panels to the Camwell Hockey Podcast. Firstly, Minka Woolley from Devonport in Tasmania. Welcome. Thank you. And Alicia Newman from Queensland, one of our Hockey Australia umpires. Thanks for joining us. No worries. How are you going? Very well, thanks. So today's a bit of a different flavour. This is part two of our officiating podcast uh, for the Camberwell uh, Club. And we thought it'd be nice to chat to a couple of our Australian officials that are that have already been selected for Tokyo 2020 and both sit within their respective pro league panels. And we want to have a quick discussion about how their life has been impacted with the delay in the Olympic cycle and how they've got to their levels in both umpiring and umpire managing. So as a quick introduction, Minka Woolley got her Australia badge back in 1991. She umpired AHL from its inception in 1993. Quick rise to her international badge in 1995. By going, she umpired at the 2004 and 2008 Olympics. She's been an umpire manager at London 2012, Rio 2016 and Tokyo 2020 will make her fifth Olympics overall, as well as a couple of Commonwealth Games as well as an umpire manager in Glasgow and in Gold Coast. She was the umpire manager of the Men's World Cup. She's currently an FIH Pro League umpire manager and a life member of Hockey Tasmania. That is an absolute word mouth minker. How do you have time for anything else in your life? Uh, well, I hate to say it, but this has happened over a long time. So, uh, yeah, hockey's been incredibly incredibly good to me over the years, but uh, I've had a lot of fun along the way, that's for sure. And when you sort of label it out like that, it thinks, wow, it, it's been a long time, but it doesn't feel like that, you know. So it's, it's been good fun. Well, it's, that's the beauty of hockey, though, is the fact that it just becomes a passion that you don't even have to think about. It just becomes something that you do. Well, look, it's been a part of my life since uh, I was in primary school and so it's just continued this whole, you know, I played seriously for a long time and then the umpiring sort of evolved from that and then umpire managing after that. And really, it, if I think about why, it's not really the, the job and keeping it going. It's still that contact with people, and, and which I've always enjoyed from playing. So, you know, uh, sometimes when I think about what on earth am I doing this for, it, it's the people definitely and... Um, so I, I've, I've certainly had a wonderful journey, that's for sure. And how did you start in umpiring? 
<laughs> well, back in the day, um, we used to read the newspaper on a Friday and if your name was put down, you had to turn up. Nobody asked you whether you want to umpire. Um, you just read your name in the paper and somehow you learnt by osmosis, I think. You know, you just came down and nobody ever said, this is how you umpire. You bought a whistle and... Um, you just umpired. That was mostly schoolgirls when I was playing uh, at that level. And then it just went from there. Um, I had a couple of people who were encouraging me, but no feedback and mentoring like you had these days. It was really just, um, oh, oh, well, you can umpire this level now. And, oh, okay, we're going to give you your state B badge and, and you can umpire this level. And so there was no plan like there is now. It just sort of seemed to happen. Uh, and certainly I never considered that umpiring was going to be any sort of career. It was hockey was my, my focus and my passion. Umpiring was just something I really enjoyed, but not, not where my focus was. Where I think today it's changed a bit. I think umpires can start their career as an umpire and stay as an umpire without having to be a player as well. So it's a bit different for sure. Which teams very nicely into introducing Alicia, who is currently an FIH Pro League umpire. Uh, this will be her first Olympic expedition to Tokyo. She's an umpire. She was a member of the umpire panel at Gold Coast 2018, the London World Cup in 2018 as well, the Junior World Cup in South America in 2016. After gaining her Australia badge in 2012, has been umpiring AHL since 2013, and made her international debut in 2014. Alicia, you've and it's well documented that as well that you are a hockey one player for the Brisbane Blaze. Obviously, being so involved with both playing and umpiring, how did you all get started in hockey and how did you find yourself both playing and umpiring at the elite level? Um, well, not too dissimilar to Minka, to be honest. Um, we, at a, a club level, needed volunteers to fill in the junior fixtures each weekend and my parents kind of uh, encouraged me to have a go to learn the rules better as a player, but also to give back to the club and the, the local community. So I did some junior levels, like when I was playing under 13s or 16s, I was umpiring the age group below. Similarly, when um, the Toowoomba teams travelled to a state championship, they needed to take an umpire to fulfil um, those duties. So I would travel with the age group lower than I was playing and, um, yeah, one day I got an email from Hockey Australia saying, hey, do you want to come along to a national under-15 tournament? So that was kind of the first time that I thought about representing um, my state at that stage as an umpire and um, jumped through a few age groups. I was still playing the age group older and umpiring the age group underneath and got to a point where it was kind of questioned or, or the question was put to me, hey, you can go to the Australian Hockey League in the Northern Territory team as a player or you can come as an umpire. And that was the first time I, I really had to make a decision and think about which one I'd prefer to do. I chose umpiring um, and the rest, as they say, is history. I, I took the opportunity and within six months I was in South Africa with the Australian team um, and, yeah, a few years later at some pretty big international tournaments. And it's such an incredible journey as well. It's it's also just the beginning as well, which is the beautiful part. And for those out there that don't know, the there is a retirement age in officiating at 47 years old, which is, I would say, considerably higher than one as a player. So, I mean, all credit out there if there is a 47-year-old international player out there, but there's certainly... There's a couple of incredible umpires, both male and female, in their 40s that can have a continued life in hockey beyond their playing years. So, I mean, 
I'm also very biased, so you, I think you made a great choice there. Yeah, it was um, getting back into the sorry, the, going back into the playing group. I I, I didn't um, didn't really expect any of that to fall out from last year. I went to our state championships just to have fun. I played an umpire, so I think I did seven games within two and a half days as a player and or umpire. And um, yeah, all of a sudden they were like, "Hey, you're in this." blaze squad and i sort of was like is that a printing error did you accidentally include that um and yeah the the fallout from there went, meant that i got an opportunity to play again at a national level which was a, um, a really good enjoyment absolutely but it would also i'm guessing that feeds quite nicely one to the other as well and i know that's something that we quite often talk about in our victorian and our australian umpiring groups is if you if you do have the ability to play it does feed off one another how do you how do you find being both an elite player and an umpire do you do you think the two roles help each other or can they also hinder your performance uh oh i think they very much help um when you understand the player's intent uh and what they're trying to achieve and, and the purpose of what they're doing it allows you to make better decisions to play advantage or to give a quick free hit um, you can predict where the ball might end up so you can be in a better position earlier on the pitch to make sure that you can see what's coming. And um, I definitely think it helps at a club level. It probably is a hindrance as a player to be a bit frustrated at times with um, errors that potentially occur on the field where you're like, if you just stood over there, you'd see it better. Um, but no, definitely at that elite level, uh, it's a, a, a real advantage. I really agree with that, what Alicia was saying, that the um, I think, you don't have to be a player, a player to be a good umpire, but I think our, our best umpires usually are people who have come through the system that really understand the game and, and, and I think, as Alicia said, can predict where they need to be and have a feel for what players want. And there's a difference between being a, uh, a player's umpire, I think, and, um, and somebody who just goes and is not able to step up because I think there's, there's a difference there. You have to be able to step up and step out of that playing part to be an umpire. But I think the best people do make that transition and I think Alicia's a great example of that. And when she had that chance last year, you know, I really encouraged her to take the playing chance because your playing years are limited, I think, and, and she was already established, well established as, a, as a, an umpire. It wasn't going to impact on her ability to do um, international work and, you know, uh, I think it's fantastic for her to be able to have that opportunity. I couldn't agree more. I'm also very jealous, but that's a different story. I don't think my... <laughs> I, my body couldn't handle playing at a proper level, so that's fine. I'm I'm happy in uh, the twos and threes down at Campbell. That's that's for sure. <laughs> now, Minka, talk about your role as an umpire manager. It it might come as a surprise to some of our listeners uh, to hear these words, but can you talk about what does it entail and how do you see your role as part of the as part of the third team? Uh, look, it's it's interesting. When I first started in the role, I really had not much of an idea, um, but it's definitely not as much fun as being part of the umpiring team, that's for sure. There's a whole lot more work that goes into it. Um, Pre-tournament, you know, lots of admin work and things like that. But I guess our, our role is really to support, to, to ensure our umpires get to a tournament, um, making sure they're well prepared in terms of not just physically but mentally and also in terms of game briefing, game strategy, rules, etc. So there's a lot of pre-tournament work that goes on. Uh, once you're at the tournament, um, you know, we are certainly the, the link between the coaches and the teams to a degree and the umpires, and that can be, you know, as a buffer for some of the stuff that comes from coaches. 
you know, I, I, I really think it's a very different role now. It's much more of support and, and mentoring. Like, you know, when, I, when Alicia gets to, the, to Tokyo next year, our expectation is that she's going to be an Olympic umpire. We can't actually do much in terms of changing that um, during a tournament, but we can certainly reinforce things that are going well or get them to have a look at other things that may be on video clips that, that could be uh, a point of difference. Uh, I think one of the big things that we have to do as umpire managers at this top level is to manage expectations. And if anything that's going to, to bring a, a team down in the end, it's the expectations. Everything's all rosy up until you get to the final section. And when you've got the best 14 teams players in the world who are so used to umpiring finals, um, it's like having the brightest 14 kids in the school in one class. There's still going to be a number one brightest person and a number 14 brightest person in that class. doesn't mean they're not super bright. They're just still not as bright as the brightest. And I think managing those expectations is, is the toughest role we have. And i just give you one example after Rio we had we have post discussions with all the umpires and there were a couple of new umpires there who said they were really pleased with um, what they got to. They didn't get to the quarterfinals, but they, they were pleased with the games that they got. But when they go to Tokyo next time, their aim is to do a semi-final. And I just remember saying, whoa, okay, um, you, you need to manage that because there's no guarantee that um, you'll be getting anything come Tokyo. And that very person who had that conversation with me isn't even going to Tokyo. You know, so I just really would encourage those umpires to treat every tournament as their first and treat it as your last because in this current environment, who knows what. So managing those expectations, I think, is a, is a big role that we play and also making sure that all those little things are looked after so that umpires can get on and do what they need to do. And I'm, I'm very lucky myself in the fact that we got to work together for the first time last year at the under-21s up in Lismore. And... The way that you're, the way that you've crafted that conversation, you can, I can actually start to reflect on some of those moments in team meetings last year and how and how you've approached that, and it makes a lot of sense when you talk about it like that. But from an umpiring point of view, it is absolutely right. There is, there is that need, there is that desire to just like the players be in the final day games or the final couple of day games, and it can rip a team apart. The appointments on the last day and some umpire managers will just will drop the appointments on the table or say or say they're online and run away and you don't see them until the next day but it didn't i felt the way that was dealt with last year which was all of us sitting in a room and congratulating one another on the games i felt that was a really nice way to do it and also the managing of expectations was i felt done really nicely so it's always it's always interesting to hear the science behind what your thoughts at the time as well <laughs> I'm not sure there's much of a science, but I, I, I suppose having been being a teacher and you, you you know you're managing students and personalities, and I certainly don't get it right all the time. Don't don't think like that. But one of the things that I would always encourage umpires to do is that in that environment where you're announcing finals, umpires is that you you celebrate and you be clapping when it's somebody else's turn, so that when it's your turn, make sure that the room is clapping for you. And I've certainly been in teams of umpires and certainly with, as an umpire manager with umpires where nobody was happy for them to get a final, uh, even though they were perhaps the best person to do it. But, you know, it's the way that they had conducted themselves perhaps previously 
people remember that. So, you know, I just think you need to be remembered. Look after those umpires on the way up so that when you get there, they're all cheering for you as well. Now, key focus of today's podcast is looking into Tokyo 2021 and hopefully an event which will bring the world together after a rather tumultuous 2020 to celebrate unity through the movement of sport. Both Alicia and Minka are part of Australia's officials contingent that have been appointed to next year's Olympic Games. With Alicia's role, of course, as an umpire and Minka as an umpire manager for the women's tournament, as well as Tammy Stanley who from WA who has been appointed as the tournament director, for the women's competition, Josh Burt from Melbourne has been appointed as a technical official and Adam Kearns, another Queenslander, has been appointed as one of the men's umpires. As part of every Olympic preparation, the local hosting staff in the FIH are able to produce a high-quality spectacle to host a test event, uh, usually a year or two out from the Olympics, to make sure the facility, the staff and all the athletes and everything can run smoothly. Both of you were at the test event in your respective roles last year. Alicia, how did the tournament go? And what do you foresee some of the, the exciting moments or the challenges to be at next year as a result of the test event? Uh, I think it went quite well. Uh, we had a, a variety of nationalities represented in the teams that came, so it made for some really great hockey and a few nations who've been sort of top 10 but never towards the top five brought um, some really high quality hockey and were really challenging the likes of Australia and China that are offering often in that top five. So uh, in regards to the hockey quality, it was really exciting to see. Uh, it was quite warm at times as a Queenslander, though, I think um, I'm more acclimatized than others potentially to deal with that heat. So um, it, it wasn't too much of an issue. And, and yeah, I, I don't think that there there's major challenges that I see um, coming out of that test event, the food was uh, great that we were able to get a hold of sort of each night. Um, transport on the ground, um, everything in Japan runs on time and is perfectly augmented and, you know, in a routine. So there was never any challenges there with the bus being late. In fact, the challenge was us being late down to the bus. The pitches were a little bit apart, but, you know, it's a, a two-minute walk, so it's a good time to have a conversation with your colleague as you're walking over to prepare for the game. And um, the stand and the um, video umpiring setup that they had was was really good. We were in control of our own screens as a video umpire. We could see the pitch, which also helps to sort of keep yourself within the game. And, um, yeah, it was at that time, really exciting to see how it was going to look in 10 months' time with extra stands and people and, you know, all those sorts of things. Absolutely. And what kind of temperature is it looking like at that time of the year in Tokyo? I've heard it's going to be quite toasty. Yeah, I think um, for Aussies at least, you could compare it to like a Townsville, Cairns type climate. Um, it was quite humid, mid, mid-30s. They ran a um, triathlon test event when we were there and I think they shortened all the distances and still had athletes not finishing. So your world-class triathletes still not finishing. Um, there was talk about the marathon being starting at 11 p.m., 12 p.m. at night to, to have a condition where it was able to be run in a little bit cooler conditions. Um, but in saying that, they had fans on the table. Cold water was, you know, always on hand. The air conditioning in the um, change rooms and, and facilities. So, um, just a bit about managing your hydration before you get out there, and then making sure that you're being smart during your breaks as well. And particularly with the heat challenges, Minka, how do you imagine your role 
may change in the respect of managing your team? Look, I think a lot of the preparation for them to manage the heat will happen beforehand. Um, you know, certainly hydrating and learning how to really hydrate well will be something that will be working with them but well beforehand and most of these umpires have experienced tournaments in places like Argentina or India or you know where it's very very warm and so it's it's going to be no different I don't think to to that they will have to manage that I think one of the things that we might have to manage which probably Alicia won't like as much is that we will we're going to have to say to our umpires you know they're really going to have to look what they do on their free days when I was certainly umpiring in, in Athens, we, we had one day on, one day off, and uh, a co-umpire and I, we used to just go to every event we could. We went shopping. We did absolutely every touristy thing we could possibly do, and then the next day we're back to umpiring again. And, of course, sometimes you weren't umpiring, you're just reserving, and so there were, there were breaks. And so we just went all out. And, I, you know, I think in uh, times have changed, and I don't think our umpires can do that now. Um, having said that, I really want them to have the experience. There's no point going to Olympics if you don't go to some events and you just don't experience what it what it is. Um, so uh, finding that balance will be part of our role for sure. Um, and look, we'll have ice vests and um, the aircon available, and you know, lot, lots of things. I think for for me, one of the the issues, certainly from the test event, was the fitness facilities available in the hotel. Everything is on a pay basis, and and Tokyo is very very expensive. So how we sort that out beforehand to ensure that people have access to good fitness facilities to, to maintain that and uh, will be part of our, I guess, our, our brief before we get there for sure. Absolutely. And particularly, it's, I guess it's more, even more important with only a couple of games being scheduled per day and a, a panel of 14 umpires being able to ensure that they can keep that fitness ticking over and keep that momentum will be really important not only from a mental point of view, but from that physical preparation point of view. Obviously being there quite recently, Minka, what are you looking forward to about Tokyo now? I think I'm looking forward to just the whole Olympic experience. Um, you know, Tokyo is going to turn it on very, very differently um, to, to Rio, to anyone else, I'm sure. They're, they're going to make sure that this is going to be special. So, you know, things like um, the opening and ceremony uh, will be amazing, I'm sure. Um, you know, I... I just love the good hockey and the good sport you see at these events, so I'm really looking forward to that. I think that we've got a, a fabulous team of um, umpires in terms of both men and women and the umpire managers. We all get on very, very well, so I'm, I'm really hoping it's going to be a, gr a great team, a real sense of team, not just the men and the women, but a real sense of team. Yeah, I just, you know, I'm realistic about that it won't all be smooth riding, but I just, yeah, I just think, it's hard to explain what an Olympics is unless you've been to one, um, but it is just an amazing event and uh, and I just hope Alicia just gets to immerse herself in the whole thing and, and umpire fabulously well but enjoy everything that it that involves for sure. Absolutely. And Alicia, it's your first Olympic campaign. Uh, what are you looking forward to? How are, how are you feeling about it? Oh, you know, sort of sitting here and listening to Minka try and describe it just makes the anticipation and excitement um you know just yeah listening to that right now it's like oh I want to be there now and be experiencing it so all those big multi-sport events I think have something special about them the the as Minka said the ceremonies at the start and end um we we didn't get tickets to the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony which was quite disappointing and um to be able to go to the closing ceremony to be a part of that um multi-sport 
aspect and see the athletes celebrating and the atmosphere that was created was was really unique so really excited to be involved with that um to be able to get out and and see some other high class international sports events that I haven't seen before so yeah athletics and gymnastics and things any anything that you can sort of get to is going to be the best of the best so sport lovers will love whatever it is that they get to see but um above those two just just hanging out and doing what we do with um the friends who who've become family we've got really close connections within the females group particularly and and starting to get those closer connections with the men through pro league and and being at more tournaments together and um you know some of these people are my best friends and i haven't seen them now for 12 months 18 months and um to be able to get together and hang out and do what we do with such good friends is um half of the enjoyment other than being on the pitch and running around so yeah a whole variety of things that i'm excited for but um yeah i couldn't really put one above the other and how did it feel when you when you found out that you were appointed um yeah pretty surreal we had we'd come home from the test event and um Adam and I flew on the same flight because we're obviously both from Brisbane and we were talking about things and I think maybe two or three days later I woke up to take the dog for a walk and I had a text message on my phone um from Adam saying email question mark and before I had even done anything else I knew exactly what email he was talking about um and what that sort of meant so I got the goosebumps and was quickly trying to log into my email account and then to see um you know the sender sitting there as FIH and congratulations in the subject line and uh I think it was a Tuesday morning I got to work and was just buzzing but um on the hindsight of that the bottom line in the email was this is not public please don't tell anyone yet so whilst you're super excited and you're happy um you also can't you know celebrate that too publicly lots of messages backwards and forwards within the the 30 odd people that were within the email but um yeah had to wait maybe i think it was another 24 or 48 hours before FIH posted it to the world oh, it would have been incredibly exciting i uh Certainly, certainly something. Even just hearing about it, it fuels the fire, and you know, makes sure it's something that I will obviously have want to strive for in the future. But that would be absolutely incredible. And Minka, can you remember back to prior to two thousand and four? Can you remember being appointed to your first Olympics? Absolutely. Um, we were in New Zealand uh, at the Olympic qualifier, and um, we had three Australians there. They'd already chosen half the umpires, so that out of the qualifiers, there were only going to be five, and there were three Australians there, um, all who were ranked, or two of them, they were ranked higher than I, and so I knew I wasn't going anywhere. Um, and then, look, I had I had a good tournament. It was great and uh, on the last night the two umpire managers came into our room with my roomie from Sarah from New Zealand they said Sarah you can pack your bags you're going to um, Athens and no and I was just thrilled for her because you know this is fantastic and I reckon it was about five minutes later before um, Jan Hadfield and Peter Von Reth who were the umpire managers there and they said and Minka you can pack your bags too um, and it it was unbelievable because I was at that stage um I was uh old I was 2004 I was well I was 43 at that time so I was 42 when I found out 43 by the time I um got to to Athens so I was very old for my uh, first uh, Olympics and um I will never forget that and I rang home 
rang my parents who had always been a support and by the time I got home the next morning, 10 o'clock, back to school, my parents had rung the world because I had three newspapers ring me, I had the TV ring me, I had the radio ring me and I was sort of like my five minutes of fame, you know, as soon as I got home. So, um, you know, I, it was an incredible highlight and I, and I think for every umpire their, that first notification is amazing and everyone else since but, you know, that one is something very special. That's torture to make you wait an extra five minutes in the same room with someone. Well, I, just, I wasn't expecting it either, so it wasn't it wasn't really too bad. We were celebrating with Sarah, and um, you know, yeah. I, I can totally imagine Jan just leaving you hanging and then and turning around. I can picture the moment in my head. Yeah, uh, it was incredibly special. That's for sure. Fantastic. It's funny, Jim, that you're talking about appointments because this time round, um, you know, again, I certainly wasn't expecting this. I went to Rio and, and I would have thought it was somebody else's turn, but we were appointed well before the umpires. Again, we couldn't tell anybody, so of course I told my family. Um, uh, and then about, uh, I don't know, three or four weeks later, we were told uh, we were unappointed. And that was a bit of a challenge as well because someone had at FIH had um, perhaps, I don't know, there'd been some review on process, so we were unappointed. So we had to wait um, until the day before we went to the Tokyo test event. Uh, we still didn't know. So we'd been waiting six weeks to hear whether we were going or whether we were not going. Um, and in the end, the same four were appointed. But uh, that sort of took the edge off a little bit, I can tell you, <laughs> to get appointed and then get yeah. unappointed. So I'm going to enjoy this, that's for sure. Absolutely. It makes it even more sweeter, that's for sure. And now back to you, Alicia. What does your preparation look like leading into next year? Uh, at this stage, it's um, you're just sort of going through the motions and um, playing club hockey, umpiring club hockey. Um, I train on a, two mornings a week at the Queensland Academy of Sport in the gym with the high-performance crew. And then we have our uh, on-field conditioning and skills uh, on two evenings a week, so four sessions with that group. Um, and then, yeah, we just roll through the end of the year. We'll see what preseason looks like. But probably about 10 to 12 weeks out, I'll uh, narrow the focus a little bit more, make sure that um, I really look after the body, any sort of niggling injuries that get um, that pop up. Um, get fixed and treated and, and maintained and make sure that the footwork's there, agility's there, mindset's there. Um, so umpiring some club hockey will probably do some Zooms or some um, online video chats with the group before we get there. I don't know what Minka's got planned, but normally some form of video preparation discussions, make sure that when we arrive we're all sort of interpreting that grey area of hockey in a similar shade um, and not, you know, one person looking at it and thinking a different thing to another so that when we get on the pitch, it's, we're ready to go. Um, so a little bit physical, a little bit mental. Um, I'll be working through till uh, the day I fly out uh, at school, but I've got a, a super supportive uh, boss and network at Marsden. And yeah, they're, they're so proud of having someone on staff doing what I do. So any sort of tournaments or matches that pop up, I'm sure I'll be able to get to those and um, get as much game prep as I can. And Minka, what does preparation look like from an umpire managing point of view? Um, from an umpire managing point of view, well, certainly um, if all the umpires had that attitude and ability that Alicia has in terms of fitness and that preparation, my job would be very easy. It's not quite the same with everyone. They don't necessarily have the knowledge and understanding about 
that Alicia has about training or, or perhaps access to the same facilities. So we have to sort of try and work um, with all of those umpires in terms of making sure their fitness is at a level, their mental preparation uh, is at a level. Interestingly enough, um, I have to make sure that I'm fit as well. It's it's a very long tournament and it's a very, very tiring tournament and um, personally work very, very hard on my own fitness to make sure that in that role modelling type thing, you know, that, that the expectation is that I have on the team, I have the same expectation on myself. So that's really important for me that people understand that as well. Um, you know, in a normal tournament, we have a, a lead-in that, that we can plan. At the moment, it's very difficult to know what sort of preparation we will have with our team. Um, I was expecting that they would all have plenty of pro league games. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. So preparation in terms of teams and games umpired will be quite different. So how umpires get to manage that will be um something that we have to work on. Um, and some umpires may come with very little international game, with very few international games under their belts from 2021, at the start of 2021. So it, it's a bit of an unknown at the moment, but certainly um, while umpires have to be looking after their physical, I think the mental side of things is going to be the really big issue. We have to make sure that people are mentally absolutely firing uh, because this is a different world and these are different times. So we can't apply the same, same, same that we have in the past. And those different challenges as well has, I guess, from a glass half full approach, has the ability to make your, your team of umpires stronger as well is because if you can get through the shock of having the biggest event in the world postponed for a year and your, everything that you've been working towards to be postponed for a year, if if you can see it from the glass half full approach, hopefully, hopefully they come out stronger and actually more raring to go. But I guess at the same time, you've got to make sure that you are not allowing them to overfill the cup and that those emotions are in check, that they can still perform at the highest level. Oh, look, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, I, I think if I, I look on this break that, that umpires have had, this is probably the first break that many have had for years. And I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a, a chance to, to regrow that, that real hunger for, for what you really want to do and to recognise that you, you've really got to get fitter and, um, and, and prepare well. I think it's been, we can look at this really quite positively, that this has been a chance to regroup, refresh and really get going. And I think when we get to Tokyo, and I hope it's a when, not an if. Uh, when we get to Tokyo, I think the team will be amazing because they will know how lucky they are to be there. We, we'll all know how lucky we are there to be there. And one thing I don't think that we will change, though, that teams will be expecting us to be right on top of our game. There will be no uh, leeway for us in that, that, that we have to be on top of our game. So there can be no excuses. And so... Um, you know, I'm certainly looking at it from a glass half full. I think this break will be good for our, some of our umpires and we will be coming there, uh, you know, really fresh and looking forward to it. Absolutely. I haven't, I haven't picked up a whistle since hockey won in November. It's incredible. I feel, I feel amazed. I can't wait to get back out there. None of you, not like these, are, not like these other states that are continuing these local competitions. <laughs> at the Olympics, is there anything that you just, down would love to see like if you get the opportunity to structure your downtime well is there anything that you'd be really wanting to see Alicia? 
Oh, look, to be honest, I'm a, a lover of all sports. So anything that I could get to that's um, a high-level competition, I would love to see. There's the new sports of surfing and rock climbing that would be, you know, fascinating to go and see. But if it's gymnastics, I don't care. It's, um, you know, the best of the best in the world. So whatever you see is going to be done at, at a really high level and the atmosphere and the entertainment aspect, um, getting out into the athletics uh, would be really good. Swimming probably is a little lower on my list. Um, it's I don't think it's quite as exciting, I suppose, as some of the other events. And um, But, yeah, nothing in particular that I sort of say I would love to see that person or that thing. Um, the one athlete, if she, if she goes, that I really wanted to see at the Gold Coast and didn't would be Tia Claire Toomey, who's a, an Australian weightlifter and, and CrossFit champion. So she's probably the one person in the group that um, I'd love to see do her thing because she's got some incredible mental capacity and um, mindset there that's quite inspirational but anything and everything um, that's available would be uh, really fun I think. I, I can actually completely vouch for the new sports the and in Buenos Aires for the Youth Olympics the closest uh, park of sports to our hotel was the Urban Park we watched some of the sports climbing in the BMX and in person it was absolutely incredible and these were under 18 athletes, so I can only imagine what the open athletes would be able to achieve. And Minky, I guess your tournament looks a little bit differently, different as well in the fact that if there's going to be morning and night matches and constant videos to actually go through, if there is downtime at all, would you just be spending it sleeping or exploring or would you be wanting to get to some events as well? time to sleep when you come home um no definitely there's there's a lot less time for us but the good thing is that usually the umpiring and officials team get about five vip passes and what that means is that we share those around all the officials and you can get into any event into the vip lounge and that means you get to sit in the best seats in the stadium and for free so you know you can go anywhere um and certainly as alicia has, has indicated you know you whatever we're close to I'm, and i'm not sure how what will be close to us at this stage but you know make the most of whatever you can see um and and sometimes those events that you think are not going to be amazing turn out to be quite amazing and um alicia you said about the um swimming not being so exciting that's the one i've really really enjoyed it's the hardest one to get into um but but you know it's sort of short and sharp and and uh it's it's always very very exciting as is the athletics if you get to go to the athletics and see certainly we saw usain bolt run and you know people like that it's just like wow we might have been way up in the clouds watching but still to be there and enjoy that it's something that you'll you'll take with you so anything and everything and 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 certainly try and make the most of any chances we get for sure fingers crossed i think i said that with the swimming just it's it's so overexposed on what gets broadcast at home. So when you watch yeah. the Olympics at home, you watch so much swimming. So um, to see some of those sports that don't necessarily get the airtime at home would be yeah. um, quite cool. Absolutely. And to any potential yes. broadcasters listening out there from our Australian broadcasting uh, teams, please stop showing the swimming. <laughs> Show us the highlights. <laughs> it's fine. We'll get over it. <laughs> okay, back into back into. Yeah, you know, it's it's a hockey podcast. We've got to look after what's nearest and dearest to us. <laughs> <laughs> so 
fitness is a is a key part of modern hockey and very much so for the modern umpire. And it might came as a surprise to some listeners out there, but there's quite regimented fitness tests uh, prior to attending any tournaments that we have to run on both the yo-yo intermittent recovery test and in a 45-meter sprint. And as you progress through the levels, the expectations increase to the international level. And then once you move through the international panels, the the level you need to achieve and the time for a 45-meter sprint decreases. The Alicia, how do you find the current testing standards? The, the yo-yo test has only been in for a couple of years compared to the beat test. And do you think they're appropriate for the modern game? Uh, 100% prior to the yo-yo, we actually did a 12-minute time trial. So just pretty much run as many laps of a 400-meter track or a field or a flat running path as far as you can in 12 minutes, which isn't really reflective of how we umpire. We don't run consistently for 12 minutes with no breaks at one speed and then get an extended rest. Um, we're more up and down the pitch where you're, you're standing still for five to 10 seconds and then you're off again and standing still. So much more reflective of a yo-yo style test, I think. Uh, In regards to the standards, um, it's a a good topic that we've been discussing closely. We ran a yo-yo test a week ago at the Queensland Academy of Sport Training and we had three athletes pass the FIH said um, is the the minimum standard for an uh, elite women uh, elite woman's umpire. So in a, you know, a high performance team environment you've only got three players that are are meeting those standards so potentially a little bit high which might lead to some lack of validity in results but uh, I think it's definitely something that we have to have Um, the players are quicker they're throwing more overheads the game is speeding up with quarters and self-play and all of those sorts of things so if we're not also increasing our own standards to make sure we're doing um, the best we can, then we're just letting the team down and, and the game down and it will impact the quality of hockey that we're able to present. Considering everything that happens out there in front of you, I guess what you do at home and what you do with your fitness, that's one of the major things that you can control yourself. And so the hard, I guess everything will pay off the hard work that you do put in. Yeah, and, you know, um, Anyone who's done anything that's put them into some level of fatigue probably experienced slower mental processing after that. So, you know, if you're running up and down the field and you've got a split second to make a decision, um, the fitter you can be physically, the less that impacts on your mental cognitions of processing what's happening in front of you. And Minka, you're a huge advocate for fitness and we've already heard it uh, talking today and for speed in umpires in training. Was this a key feature of your training when when you were an elite umpire? Uh, yeah, I, I would say definitely um, because I was so much older, um, not than everybody, but quite a bit older. You know, I was certainly uh, the mother of the team rather than uh, a sister of the team. Um, I needed to make sure that I gave uh, – there was no excuse – you know, that my age wasn't going to be an excuse for not being um, at a fitness level. In those days, FIH, the older you got, the slower you were allowed to get on the beep test. Well, I never used that myself because I thought, you know, um, I I really want to make sure that my fitness is as good as anybody younger than me in the team. So that has always been a bit of my bandwagon and certainly anybody, any team that I've been umpire manager with would know that that, uh, I really expect a high level of fitness and I don't expect 
I think it's the lack of understanding about how to get fit is the real issue. You know, the sort of stuff that Alicia's talking about, the you know, the high intensity training now is what hockey's about. It's not about running five kilometres at a nice even pace and, you know, feeling good at the end. It's really about that horrible hurty stuff that, that you don't feel good at the end um, that, that really builds that hockey fitness. So, yes, always been part of um, my umpire preparation and still is part of my umpire manager preparation. Uh, it's a bit harder but now I'm older, but certainly uh, definitely part of it for sure. And, you know, one of the things that I reinforce to pro league umpires and anyone that's umpiring where you come on TV, as an umpire manager sitting at home watching these games, which is where we watch our pro league games from, I'm getting constant communication from all over the world from people writing and the big, most messages I get would be, that umpire looks unfit, that umpire looks overweight. If they make a mistake, they're going to blame their fitness, they're going to blame that they're overweight, they're going to blame that they're not in position and that before they're going to blame their fitness. So I just say to umpires, be as fit as you can so nobody has an excuse as to why you might be making an incorrect decision, you know, and I think uh, we have to understand that TV has exposed some people uh, a little more than others perhaps. And... To work with that, a key part of officiating at the highest level is our mental preparedness and our psychology in sport and not only being able to perform under pressure but to communicate with the players and be able to elicit the best out of the working group and to actually produce the best product. Alicia, how do you prepare for a match to ensure you're mentally and physically switched on? Um, at the moment, I'm actually uh, starting some work with the QAS uh, sports psychologist just to sort of hone in those things. Not that I've ever really found a massive issue or, or something that's really thrown me, but just to work through some few strategies. I think uh, a really good conversation with the person you're umpiring with uh, before the match is really important just to make sure that you can support them the best that you can in areas where they may feel they need it and likewise when you might have an area of the field or an interpretation or a decision that just doesn't feel 100% at that moment you can let them know so that they can support you through that um, as well so a good chat in the morning of the game um, in the past we used to have you know a 20 minute discussion we'd, we'd have the same discussion with the same questions and the same um, things going on we've now I think become much more comfortable with that being informal um, over a coffee just before the, the game and um, have an understanding of, of what's expected, which is a reflection of the pre-tournament preparation that we're doing now. It eliminates the need for that big, long discussion. Um, physically, it's a just a normal warm-up routine that you'd have as a player, going for a jog, stretch, make sure you hit some high-speed intervals um, before you walk out on the pitch so that if on pushback, someone throws a 60-metre overhead or, or there's a breakaway and a turnover, you're ready ready to go and you're not using the first five minutes of the game to get yourself up and going. Couldn't agree more. And Minka, how do you see your role as an umpire manager to help you, your team deal with the stresses of elite sport and performing at the highest level? Uh, look, I think... You know, what Alicia's describing there is really important is that we recognise that every umpire has a different pre-game program and it's not up to us to prescribe what that pre-game preparation might look like because, you know, some people like listening to music, some people like going for a 20-mile run. Um, you know, that's that's whatever they do that, that best suits them. So we, I think we're, we're not um, that, that pre-game stuff is really 
what the umpires want. I think our role is to to keep uh, to a degree in those hot spot times the coaches away from our umpires. Um, I, I'm all for coaches discussing and chatting with the umpires at an appropriate time. An appropriate time is not during the game and is not just at the end of the game because everybody is you know hot hot spotting at that time and you know emotions are high. Um, clarity is not there for either the umpires or the coaches necessarily. So I think, you know, if we can certainly try and remove those stresses, then that's something to to assist our umpires. But, you know, basically once once they're there, they've got to be their own managers of that. Um, uh, and I guess, as I said earlier on, managing expectations and all those things is, is something that is a continuous thing for us to do, managing, you know, what do you expect? What do you want from this tournament? Is that realistic? Are you going to get it? Um, and, you know, I, I use the example of Lorraine Delfour, which from Rio, I had never seen her umpire before when I went to Rio as an umpire manager. She was 26 at the time. She was the baby of the team. Um, she only got her umpire, her international badge, when she was 23. So it was only three years prior. And so um, there was no expectation on my part as to how she would or wouldn't go. And then she ends up doing the final. Now, that really impacted our team big time um, at that stage because, there, you know, people's expectations weren't that she was going to get there. But she was she umpired amazingly well. And so I always say to my team beforehand, the first two games count. And I believe that the first two games count. If you're going to ease your way into a tournament, then you might find not find yourself at the end of the tournament umpiring the big games. So I try and be as honest and upfront as possible, but that doesn't always work. And particularly these days where at the Olympics, the, there's no classification games. There's It is a knockout from the first opportunity to try and make it more exciting for the program as well. It It does heighten that intensity of being able to perform right from the very right from the word go so I guess the harder to make sure that you're ready for that in all in all capabilities will be all the more important I think pro league has done a lot to prepare that the top level for a tournament like this often we as Minka said earlier we don't actually have umpire managers on the ground in country with us so managing ourselves is a hundred like we have to do it. There's no one else there to, to hold our hand and walk us through it. Um, likewise, you fly into a country maybe 12 to 18 hours beforehand, you umpire one game and then you're flying out the next day uh, or you umpire two games and you're flying out. So there is no room to warm up or, um, you know, take a game to get yourself organised. So I, I really feel that the pro league tournament style will really assist the group in making sure that day one we are all ready to go because we're a little bit more used to now having a shorter turnaround and to be ready to go on on very short notice. Absolutely. And I guess that's a that's been a big thing that's changed since you were an umpire Minka with this with the pro league structure and less definitely less tournaments where you can actually mould and shape and umpires can actually hopefully continue to get better all the way through a tournament. It is a lot more about being able to, you might have one game, then you might not have another international game for six months and it could just be one or two matches and it could be another break. Uh, I, I think if there's a negative to come out of Pro League and you know even in Hockey 1 in, in Australia is, is that 
we've got less tournament opportunities for umpires to learn their craft and do exactly what Alicia was talking about, establish those friendship groups, that trust within group. So, you know, there, there's no Champions Trophy, there's no World League, there's no um, KT Cups, all of these tournaments that were, were such good tournaments when you were learning your craft to come through. Now, um, I'm not actually sure, you know, there's very so few tournaments. There's a, I don't know how it's going to work. So um, we have to have our umpires prepare in, in a different way and they have to be more independent and, and be able to cope, um, get off the plane, umpire, get going, as Alicia has indicated. So, you know, it's not all positive, but that's that's the way the world is. So we have to learn to cope and deal with that, that's for sure. Mm. And fingers crossed for all three of us as well that uh, there are more tournament opportunities in the new in the new world with everything that's changing that's going on, which will uh, not only boost the quality of our incredible Australian umpiring culture, but that will hopefully get a bit more longevity as well. And we've we've come to the end of our time today, but I just I feel like it's a it's a great opportunity having two incredible umpires on the podcast today is. I'd love to hear about your favourite memories in officiating. If there is a favourite game or a tournament or an experience, Alicia, is there something that springs to mind when I ask this question? Oh, so many, so many opportunities and moments. Um, three probably that jumped to the top of the list is my second AHL. I was lucky enough to do the gold medal match with the retiring legend that is Lisa Roach. Um, so being involved at a such a high high match but also with such a true professional and someone who's really helped me develop my hockey that was a, a special moment to see her out and um, be a part of her last national game but in a, a bigger tournament international standard the Gold Coast games were um, so enjoyable to be umpiring in front of friends and family who would normally never see you on the pitch internationally and have people in the crowd yelling out my name as opposed to the two teams that were playing on the pitch was was pretty special. Uh, and, and the third and final one would be the opening day of the, the World Cup in London. I umpired England's first game and they had extended the stadium up the top. Um, so they had a capacity crowd of 10,000 people, the Red Arrows, which is a... Um, flyover group with the the cannons on and the smoke coming out the back there was a marching band on the field that played god save the queen live and just an absolute spectacle of um of sport and something that we don't get so often in hockey is those really big crowds that really build the atmosphere and quite close proximity to the edge of the field so you, you really feel that um anticipation from the people and um it was a really a special moment to be a part of and um, yeah, so many more I could list, but those are definitely three that, that pop to mind uh, as some favourite memories. Tough act to follow, but uh, soon to be five-time Olympian, Minka Woolley, uh, a favourite memory for us? I've probably given you one of my most favourite was when I certainly was appointed to Athens and, and actually going to Athens um, and sitting in the, in the stand at the opening ceremony and I rang my parents and I can still remember the emotion of that, just how important that was for, for me and for them. Uh, let me think. Um, I think every Olympic experience has been amazing. I can hardly remember game of umpire. The games, I can remember doing a comm games in Melbourne when my family were there. I can remember 
creating controversy during one game and the Indian crowd are yelling, bully, woolly, you go home. I can remember those those sorts of things. But in terms of games, the games really haven't, they're not, they haven't perhaps been the highlight, the atmosphere that Alicia describes, you know, when you've got a full stadium. I think for me uh, an amazing opportunity was to be the first female um, umpire manager at a Men's World Cup. Uh, was an amazing honour, but an amazing experience. I can remember when I was appointed at the end of, in December, 19th of December, I can still remember, I woke up and I felt sick. I thought, oh my God, I can't do this. I just never even vaguely thought I would be appointed to a men's tournament. And it took me three days to decide whether I could or couldn't do. But the whole Indian experience was something that I doubt I will see again in terms of how the Indians love their hockey and how you are treated like royalty over there. If I had a dollar for every photo that they took with us um, in that tournament, I would be a wealthy woman. Um, it, it was a very, very special time and I think it, it cemented my um, my desire to create hockey as one in terms of like we did for under-21s last year. It, it's a tournament for, for one group, not men and not women. We are there as a group and um, certainly if we can do that in Tokyo, I'll, I'll be really pleased for that next year. So lots and lots of memories, but most of them, uh, some of them I can't even tell you here because they, they're funny things that happen at tournaments that really should stay in tournaments. Uh, but they're all about the people, not about so much about the hockey. Is that bad to say? I'm not sure. You better cut that bit out, I reckon. No, not at all. I mean, that's that's why we still do it. We we love the people that you meet, and and if you, I, I know I'm certainly very lucky to have been able to travel just a little bit compared to the both of you. But you know, the friends that you make all around the world is are just absolutely incredible. And certainly, I couldn't agree more. It is it is it's hockey brings us together, but you know, being able to have friends and those friendships are what you really, truly treasure. And thank you so much for both joining us today. It was incredible to hear about your preparation and and life from an officiating point of view at the highest level. And in this next time of uncertainty, I wish you all the very best in your preparations and hopefully we see some more international hockey on our screens and very shortly and wish you all the very best particularly for Tokyo next year so thank you very much for joining us you've been listening to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast we'd like to send a big thank you to our hosting team our guests and you the listener for your support if you enjoy the show please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts this show is recorded and produced by Camberwell Hockey Club in Melbourne Australia if you have any feedback comments or questions please find us on twitter at camberwell underscore hc or see more information on our website camberwell.hockey see you next week